everyone, uh, on a nice blustery, snowy evening. Um, just thankful for, that you could all be here. And uh, let me, at the onset, express my gratitude to the leadership, the eldership of First Baptist Church here in Mount Shasta, California, for the opportunity to look into God's Word and let it speak to us so that we have, hopefully, an established baseline to really appreciate who he is and just as importantly, who we are in him and all the rights and privileges and I might add royalty that goes with being born from above through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Hamashiach, our Lord and our Savior. And we're going to do a bit of a, a smooth stone skipping across the pond on God's Word to develop some key things from His Word relevant to the theme that uh, Bubba has been developing for the last six weeks. And by the way, uh, Bubba is my son, and I appreciate him sharing uh, his opportunity to be here um, and let me uh, take a, a look-see at what the Word says as we continue to develop an understanding of what is the priesthood, biblically speaking, certainly from the perspective of the Old Testament, based on what we see from the Torah, the first five books of Genesis written by Moses, and transfer that to where we are in exercising, first of all, knowing that we have the right and the privilege and the honor to exercise what we might phrase the priesthood of the believer. Just for my understanding and appreciation, is, is that a term that most people here tonight would understand? It, it, if you've heard the term, perhaps, but have no idea what it's all about and why it is, uh, is can you show me who has an understanding, at least in a, even a, a, a slight way, of the priesthood of the believer? Good, because we're going we're gonna to take a, a, a deeper look at that. But before we do, let us open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we just approach your throne and understand that you are the sovereign God, the King, the Almighty, the Everlasting. Father, all these things that you have made available to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Father, may we renew our understanding and appreciation for who he is and what he has done. And just as importantly, Father, that we see who we are in him. And Father, that we would honor him, honor you, glorify you, glorify him.
Father, with what we think and what we say and what we do, as we understand what our rights and privileges as heirs to the kingdom, that is ours. Father, may we just honor you again with how we approach your written word. And Father, we just say this through and in the name of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Amen. Bubba has done an excellent job of laying out the groundwork of the priesthood and the role that it played in the Old Testament economy. And I dare say in its modified form because of the loss of the temple uh, going forward from 70 AD, that the, the priesthood has a certain set of responsibilities. And we're going to focus on two words going forward. Number one, we're going to focus on the, the word royal. Secondly, we're going to really focus on the word holy. Now let's look at a couple of texts that are our baseline text. And I might say right here, uh, I want to emphasize, state it again, and then reemphasize it. It's the, the, the point that Bubba has laid out many times in the past. What God has done in the past is both a model and promise of what he will do in the future. We're going to build on that as we go forward. Now, Given the fact that the priesthood, as practiced in the Old Testament, no longer exists, and we're talking both with regard to, uh, especially with regard to the the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood, but that being the case, does not remove a priestly responsibility from us. And with regard to the believer's priesthood, in the, as expressed in the New Testament, there is scant little biblical data that is there to explain what that is. And Bubba last week, was, or two weeks ago before Thanksgiving, was expressing the priesthood, the Melchizedekian high priesthood of Jesus the Messiah. And that is a good transition for where we're going tonight. So one of the key verses that we want to look at tonight is found in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And I think before we really go to work, I'm going to roll up my sleeves so we can really go to work. As we look at this passage, this is one of the very few places, if not the only place, in the New Testament where we see the mention of a believer's priesthood per se. 
And I'm going to get my glasses on so I can see the script. And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and read. Let's start at verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being subject to their husbands. Now, wait a minute here. That's not what I want. I'm on the wrong side of the page. That's what makes the difference. That's why I wore glasses. Let's pick that up again. I hate to say that, but my glasses aren't working very well at this moment, but it is what it is. Chapter 2, verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, that stone which the builders disallowed, that same, that same stone is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you, notice that but, that's a big guidepost word. Stop, look, listen and learn. But you are a chosen generation, a ro royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or special or unique people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now let's look at that a little more closely, focusing on verse 5 and verse 9. You are also, as lively stones, are built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And then to repeat, verse 9, but you are a chosen nation. Notice this, this series of four points of specific identification. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or special or unique people that you show, should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now we're going to set a context here, and then we're going to pull out one specific portion of this to focus on, to get an understanding of what's going on here. We'll go through a little bit of a background on what what Peter has said, or why he has written this letter. And by the way, there are notes that give a, a rough 
uh, break out of this portion of uh, Peter's first epistle. And uh, Bubba, have those notes been uh, distributed? Everybody's got notes? Okay, who, who does not have notes? Everybody's got notes, okay. Uh, those make good reference for uh, going forward to understanding what's going on here. But look at that again. A, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, we're going to pull out that priesthood and we're going to focus on that. We really cannot look at that in and of itself to get the full meaning of it because it's chosen nation or people. It is a royal priesthood. It is a holy nation for a special purpose. Now, Peter didn't just grab this out of the blue. If you would, let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. We want to look at verse 6. And mind you now, this is God, Yahweh himself, speaking directly to Moses. And we want to recognize that this is in the context of the Torah and the import of that, that it is God the great I am himself that is speaking directly, giving orders, if you will, to Moses. And uh, by the way, uh, during the course of this, please feel free to ask questions at any time. Uh, I think that's a normal format. Uh, is that true, Hoyt, Bubba? So please, please feel free to interrupt and ask a question at any time. But look at chapter 19 of Exodus, verse 6. And this is Yahweh speaking to Moses. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Now notice that word kingdom. There's a sense of royalty already inherent in that, in that phrase. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. So what Peter has done has taken direct commands from Yahweh to Moses and has transposed it from the Old Testament now into the New Testament. But the question begged is, why? Why was he doing that now? If you look at the woof and warp of the whole New Testament, very little is mentioned directly about the priesthood of the believer. There's certainly very strong indicators of that it exists, but here, at this particular point in time, under great duress that the church was under at that point in time, Peter is moved by the Holy Spirit to record these words and to go back what God has done in the past, grab hold of that, bring it forward into the future, and plant it right here so that we, in the church, now, the called out ones, would understand that we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. 
We are a holy nation. We are God's special people for a purpose. Now, if we want to condense this down just to, uh, to make it simple in terms of just grabbing what Peter is saying, eliminate those four characteristics and you look at you are blank, 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 that you may. And what is it that you may do to show forth the excellencies, the gracious mercy, the glory of God to a lost world? And right there, let's pause and take a break and make a point that what we are doing in that particular instance are is acting as a mediator for God to man, which is half the function of what a priest does. So just because we are the called out assembly, the ecclesia, the church, and we're going to say a whole lot more about that here in a second, it's important to recognize that is part of our mission. And we want, to, we want to go back and camp on that. But let's talk about the background to why. Why now? You know, first of all, you know, what is the priesthood of the believer? Why is it? And so what? What do we do with it? And I like to use the phrase that Francis Schaeffer stated way back decades ago. When we understand who we are as an elect group, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a holy nation, a peculiar people for belonging to God, a special people, that makes a significant statement as to who we are and what we do. And we, ask, we have to ask ourselves the question. And given the responsibility that Peter is bringing forth right here, how shall we then live? What does it mean to be royal? What does it mean to be holy? And we're going to focus on that next week and develop that in terms of, so what? Well, what do we do with it? We're going to find out exactly the direct impact that, that re is, these statements require of us. But to, to see how what Bubba has been camping on for the last six weeks of terms of the priesthood in that context and how all of a sudden it's transferred from the nation Israel to the called out assembly, the body of Christ called the church. How does that happen? How did we get to be priests? How did we get to be a holy nation? What's that transfer? Let's look at the other key passage that has to be looked at in balance to what Peter is writing in his first epistle. And we'll develop the context for that here in just a, a little bit. But let's go to Matthew chapter 16 and start at verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, well, let me back that up. Let's start it 
at 13. When Jesus had come into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man, that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say you are Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say? Personalizing it, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, just to make a point of reference there, the Son of the living God. Write this down on the notes and look at Zephaniah chapter 3, I think it's verse 15. The writer of the Psalms, and this is a Psalm 1, uh, pardon me, I, I gave you the wrong quote, uh, be uh, Psalm 135. The psalmist is talking about the false gods have ears to hear, but they don't hear. And there's no breath in them. They're dead idols. There's nothing there. So when Peter, being aware of Psalm 35, 135, says this, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just to make a special note of that. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonas, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give it unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we're going to see some interesting wordplay going on here in terms of Peter, the author of that epistle of which we're focusing, and what he is, uh, has as a background of his, his experience here recorded by Matthew in chapter 16. Peter definitely was a guy that had hoof-and-mouth disease. He often said anything before the first thought could flit through his mind, and it was done. And we know the story of his, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. Three times, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. The, the, the rooster crowed three times, and sure enough, three times he de he defied, denied the Lord, and just as a case of interest, here he is now in writing his epistle, definitely not denying the Lord, but doing a special mission. But the point that we want to talk about right here to relate to what Peter says in his, his epistle, and thou, I say unto you, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Uh, I get the, under, the, the difficulties of 
how this has been handled historically. But well, when you parse it in detail, certainly uh, taking it apart in its original Greek structure, it's very clearly that Christ is that rock, the Petra. And Peter's name is now changed to Petras, Peter, small stone, a small pebble, just a little thing that is now a living stone. And when we get back into First uh, Peter, that is his play on words. Here is the rock. That's the Lord. Peter is a little pebble, a small rock. And when we go back to, let's do that. Let's go back to, to Peter, this first epistle. And it says, You are living stones, precious. He is the cornerstone. He is the, the stone that was rejected by the nations. So what has happened that Jesus has seen his rejection by the nation. God, Yahweh, was the king of Israel. And to use the term that Bubba has used often, there was concessive utilization of the kingship because they were, the nation was initially a theocracy. And they rejected God as their king. You can sort of get the... What God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what's going to happen in the future. And we can sort of see with Saul, we want a king like other nations. They, they the chosen, the called out ones, the nation of Israel. Interesting sidebar to that. God dealt with one man, Abraham called him out. He crossed over, which for the price of admission tonight, the word Hebrew means to cross over. He left his home, ventured forth on the call of God to go to a promised land. And then there was a covenant made, and Bubba has dealt with that in the past. From that covenant, a nation came forth the sons of Israel, Jacob, to escape the famine, went into Egypt. And how long were they there? 400 years. Mark that number. That's an incubation number. Because now, where we are picking up in Exodus 19, verse 6, the nation is, has come out, has left Egypt, has been birthed, if you will, and the laws of the theocracy are being put into place. And there are ministers, there are servants that are being positioned to do the, God, the work of God so that the nation, the called out nation, is the light unto the world, to the rest of the nations. They were specific, but they didn't want to do it God's way. They rejected the theocracy. And then... We have another incubation period of 400 years between Malachi and the New Testament. 
Now the new king, the new king on the block, not Yahweh as the triune Godhead, but the second son of the Trinity is now here on earth as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, it's extremely tempting personally to do, take a pause here and do a deep dive as to what this really means. We're, as I suggested, we're only skipping the stone across the pond, picking up little bits of water across the way. It's so tempting to stop, take a deep dive, to really understand and appreciate what's going on here. So the king has come. He has presented the good news, the full counsel of God. And if the nation had the ears to hear, let them hear, but they didn't, and they rejected him. That seed of Abraham, that physical seed of Abraham has now been put aside for the time being. But what is now about to happen is that the spiritual seed of Abraham is about to be called out into a new institution, if I can use that phrase. It's the ecclesia, it is the church. And to show the connection between the use of ecclesia here in the New Testament, and this is probably the first time that I can recall where the word church really appears and it's uttered by Christ. Upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. If you look at uh, Stephen the martyr in chapter 7 of Acts, uh, he's talking about the ecclesia in the wilderness. Uh, if you put a magnifying glass on that and illuminate it a little bit, you will find out that he is equating the tabernacle in the wilderness is the, the, the focal point of worship for the called-out assembly of the physical seed of Abraham. Now Jesus is saying, I'm ready to build a new institution, and it's going to be a theocracy, and I'm going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. It's sort of like they say with regard to the kingdom, it's right now, but not yet. It's right now because it exists, but it's not yet in terms of its full implementation where he does rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And we see also the picture of him through the gospels as the suffering servant, but the, but the sovereign. He's the servant washing the feet of the disciples, but he is the sovereign. He is the king. He is the Messiah, the promise of God fulfilled. That's the same thing as saying he's the priest of service and the king at the same time. He's the priestly king. He is the royal priesthood. And jumping ahead just a little bit, we are his heirs. We are sons of God his father, and by imputation, we are royal priests. 
He is the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but we are the priesthood of the believers, the royal priesthood of the believers who are obligated to do certain things. So what Jesus is saying, this is my church. This is my called out assembly. This is my body. The church is run as a theocracy. And ultimately, as we look forward into the revelation, he will become the fulfillment of that kingdom in its fullness and reign as king forever. Now let's go back to the setting that as a benchmark where you definitely don't want to lose sight of that. Why did Peter write his epistle when he did? A number of things. Number one, the church was really being hammered in a physical way at this time. By hammered, what I mean, Nero is catching Christians, putting oil and tar on them, literally lighting them on fire to light the night of his garden. They were being persecuted severely. Paul had just been martyred. The people to whom Peter is writing this letter are basically related to Paul through his ministry on a first basis or a secondary basis. He's now gone. Is his gospel any different than the rest of the apostles? Peter, at this particular point in time, because Paul is now uh, deceased, uh, he is, he, Peter, is the chief apostle. So, to give validity and assurance to these believers that are being severely persecuted, he's reminding them that they are a special people. They are a called-out assembly. They are a royal priesthood. They are a holy nation. They are God's special people. And one of the key roles that they have to play is to function as a priest to present God to the people that are lost, that are persecuting them to the point of death. And so Peter is saying, here's what we are. Here's what we have. Built upon the cornerstone of Christ himself. And we have inherent responsibilities and duties in that calling. And one of them, as I said, we're going to just sort of take one of the four out and focus on it with a certain degree of intensity, and that is the royal priesthood. So that we know now, as the Lord has instituted the church, calling out a new, I'll say this with a certain biting of the tongue, another Israel that takes in both Gentile and Jew, but it is the spiritual seed of Abraham that's being built now. And it is replacing for the time being God's lost kingship because of the rejection of the nation Israel, the physical seed of Abraham, 
to the spiritual seed of Abraham, now the church. And he is now transferring all those responsibilities and privileges that were assigned to the original theocracy is being transferred to the new theocracy. And he is our leader. He is our king. And we have been set aside as God's very special people to be the light of the world that Israel was intended to be, the light of the world back in the Old Testament. But here we are now, a called-out group with special responsibilities and special privileges so that that world that is lost out there, it is our duty to remember exactly who we are and what we are so that despite the suffering... If there's a key word here in the book of, uh, or the epistle of Peter, the first one, the second, also the second one, it is suffering. The, and you, know, you relate that back to the suffering Savior. When I look at the songs of suffering, of the suffering Savior, Savior in Isaiah, uh, my goodness sakes, and there he is, all this suffering, and he is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is who we are incorporated into because we have been born by God's Spirit to be called out from the world and placed in that body of Christ, the church, that we would fulfill these responsibilities to the glory of God, regardless of the hardship, regardless of the suffering. This is our solemn and holy duty. Now we're just beginning to to lay the, the groundwork for what is going on. And uh, it's so important for us to, to see without taking these deep dives to dig deeper into the Word. It's very interesting that Peter earlier in the chapter is talking about the milk of the Word. It is very important that we understand that as we mature in Christ, we grow teeth, so to speak, so that we can chew on the word of the Lord and not just drink the milk of the word so that we are equipped, fully equipped as saints to do the work for our Lord, remembering this is how we shall live, that we, we are that we may. We are called out that we may be Servants of the great king himself. We are that royal priesthood to reach lost man representing God to him and interceding for those lost on behalf of their opportunity to accept the work that God's son Jesus Christ has done. When I stop and look at this um, I have to reflect on my my own life and measure myself is am I holy am I being set aside for the work of the king do I recognize the royal privilege I have access to him freely read a an illustration of that 
in terms of how easy our access is to the king. Back in World War II, Prince of Wales had his daily duty during the war. And there were other people associated with the, with the uh, royal family and the work of the monarchy. When any of those people would come and go, they had to show papers. They had to verify who they were and what they were supposed to do and what their business was relevant to the king. But the king's son, nobody ever stopped him. He would come in from his daily duty. Nobody checked his papers. He walked right on in. And he had the right, he had the royal right to enter the kingdom, the palace, and never be questioned. And that is a position that we have as royal priests, to stop and think about the access that we have as living temples, and we'll go more into depth in this next week, of the privilege of knowing that God, Shekinah glory, dwelt in the tabernacle on the mercy seat, top of the ark, in the Holy of Holies. Same principle of his dwelling in the most holy place on the temple. That's all been obliterated. And now the new institution through the work of Jesus Christ building my church, he says, my church, this is my kingdom. And he's called us out to be his children, to be his royal priests, to represent him to mankind, to show forth the excellencies of who God is. This past week, heard somebody say, what's the gospel? How do you articulate the gospel? As a royal priest, we have a responsibility to share the gospel, but what is that? Very interesting what Peter says right here. To we are chosen, royal, holy, special, so that we can show forth the merciful kindness, the grace, the light of the world to the lost world, regardless of how difficult the circumstances are. That is an awesome, awesome, awesome responsibility. Are there any questions at this particular point in time? I don't want to be preaching, but perhaps that's what it is. But uh, there's a, a key thing to see how it has transferred from the Old Testament to the New Testament through the church, the called-out group that makes us very special. And we're going to talk about exactly how special that is in next week's uh, time together at the midweek service. So any, any clear points of clarity or questions at, the, at this particular juncture? Hoyt. Yeah. If we could say that in here, 
and, and uh, so are the ecstasies really the proclamation of the gospel is the question. And it's certainly uh, a case can be made, uh, Hoyt, that that is the gospel. You know, how, how do you capture who Jesus is and what he's done? If we look at what John says in chapter 3, uh, he gives uh, actually the gospel of John, going back to John chapter uh, 20, verse 31. John has written all these things about the, the signs, the great I am's, all that he has said and all that he has done. It has been written that you may believe, you may be persuaded that he is the Messiah, the very Son of God, uniquely God-man. And by receiving him, just being persuaded that he is who he is, we avoid perishing, we avoid suffering the wrath of God, and we receive everlasting life. But to win that, that right to let the Holy Spirit in the church age, because the church was born, and we don't want to lose sight of that, uh, we're still in the, in the Jewish community when Jesus is talking about the birth of the church. That doesn't happen until the advent of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4, and the sermon of all sermons that Peter preaches in Acts 2.38, uh, that's the gospel. But they are showing the excellencies, the mercy, the virtues the glory of God, and that's that's that is the gospel. It's how we live, and that's where we're going next week in terms of our holy living. When people see that, even as the situation was with the church at that time under the Roman persecution, uh, they're still shining the light of the excellencies of God. Stop and think about that. That's an amazing statement of the good news. And he, Peter, has laid out what it is, the good news, because this church has been born because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we are to proclaim that. So I'm not quite sure if that really on point addresses your question. If not, let me know. Let's come at it again. Mm-hmm. 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 That, that in itself. Uh, yes. Then there's this verbal proclamation. Uh, it talks about claim excellency. You hold this up. I, I have to submit. That's what's bringing my attention. That's the picture. Awesome. In darkness. Awesome. Into light. Absolutely. And, but we, we are demonstrating that we are a unique people, God's unique people. That's the point. By how we respond to the hardship, uh, suffering is something not to be sought. Uh, it just comes, like it or not, because we are in this world, but we're not 
of this world, and it's, it's still going to happen. That's why we have to live according to our calling and recognize, case in point here, that we are a royal priesthood. This is how we live. That's why I say, as, as Francis Schaeffer stated it, how shall we then live? But then you have to, where the rubber meets the road, we have won a hearing. They have indicated they may have ears to hear. Now let them hear. What are they going to hear? That's the good news. That's the gospel. And we, we have that responsibility. And part of what we're talking about here, uh, I love to say, you got to know what you believe, and you got to know why you believe it. Otherwise, you cannot give away your faith. As a certain professor used to say, you cannot impart what you do not possess. And that's why we are looking right now specifically to, to know what we believe, what we are, and the reasons why. And that allows us to show forth the excellencies, the virtues of God, that we can win a hearing so that those people that have ears and they use them and they hear, we can give them the words of salvation through the work and person of Jesus Christ, his coming, his sinless life, his capture, his trial, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. That's him. That's the second person of the Holy Trinity. And he is the Messiah. And he has formed this new institution and transferred the responsibilities from the one that has been re rejected by the nation, the physical seed, to the spiritual seed. And we are, to focus on that one specific point, a royal priesthood. And this is how we should live. Bubba, you wanted to say something. Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm queuing up something for you that you were going to go into or not, but... The word excellencies in Greek is aretas, and it, 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 I mean, it literally means virtue or moral excellence. So it, it really has a, a connotation of holiness. And I think that that ties back to the role of the priesthood. Um, so it, it, it's not, I think you're right, Hoyt, it, it, the gospel is a big part of that, but it's, it can, I think when you talk excellences, it can extend beyond the gospel into just the holiness of God himself. I mean, in proclaiming that, which the gospel is bringing us to. So, but I mean, I think there's a, a little bit bigger of a, a picture there when you're proclaiming the excellencies. So, yeah, not to the exclusion of the gospel, including that, but also just the holiness of God himself. So... Anyway, the, the point of that is to allow us to measure how we fulfill our responsibilities as a royal priest. And I don't know if you would share with me the difficulty I have the last thing I want to be is a priest because I have certain experiential connotations that this is what a priest is and this is what he does. And uh, um, being blunt, 
there are certain priesthoods that exist that live a lifestyle that I don't find very biblical, but that's another subject, but certainly not very attractive. So I think there may be a reticence to understand exactly what a priest is. And when we look at the development of what Bubba has been spending time on, we can compare that to the Levitical uh, priesthood. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about clean and unclean, uh, what it means to be holy, as we read in verse 5 of chapter 2. We are a holy priesthood. That's why our focus is on not only royal, because we are family of the king. Uh, We have every right to be called royal. And it goes right back to the model that Bubba has been focusing on in terms of the Melchizedekian uh, priesthood. He was a king of what? Righteousness. Of all things. Why would he be the king of righteousness? But that's what he was. And that's the order that has been established of which uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is the priest, the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And from whom do we get righteousness? By the very sacrificial work of the high priest himself that gives us the opportunity to be his children and now his priesthood proclaiming his glories, his excellencies as a member of the triune Godhead. And we have that responsibility to go out and pound the drum and bang the cymbal, hit the gong to get people's attention no matter how tough life gets with us. That's why Peter's writing it right now. And he's reminding the church, the fledging church, still at this point in history, that they are a very special people. God has called them out for this purpose. You are that you may reflect his excellencies, proclaim them no matter how tough life is. And as I say, he is, he is unifying the whole thing in terms of the fledging church at this point in time, because Paul has been martyred and Peter's martyrdom is right around the corner. Uh, he's going to pay the price. So he's, he's laying the groundwork for to recognize that we are living stones built upon the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the Lord himself, and to make that manifest to the rest of the world, which is the mission abdicated by the first Israel, the secular, the, the physical seed of Abraham, they punted on that. And disobedience, what's, what's the maxim? Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings judgment. Uh, there's a model from the past, and it's still a model for the, and a promise of the future. If you do what God says, you're going to be blessed. If you don't do what God says, you're going to be judged. And the ultimate judgment is eternal separation from him. And so the church now exists to carry on that mission to reflect his glory, his light. We are living temples. He has put, let me rephrase that, he has allowed the Holy Spirit to give us life. And he now, he, the Holy Spirit, resides in us. 
We are now the holy of holies. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We will become the bride of Christ, yet future. But we are being purified. One of the purities that we have to do is being living holy. And when we recognize what our mission is to be as a royal priest representing God to man and man to God, that intercessory, that intermediate, uh, that mediatory relationship, that goes a long ways in determining how we shall live. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And we are going to, we don't see a whole lot of this. Let me back up. The only place that I'm aware of where we will see that adjective royal associated with the with the priesthood in the New Testament is right here in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And when I see these kinds of statements made under these conditions, uh, that rings a, a, an alarm for me to stop, look, listen, and learn. Am I a wise person adhering to the Word of God so that my house, my life, is built on the rock and not on the sand. Very interesting little thing I will share. Just recently spoke to a group of uh, people that are families uh, of uh, our parents and, and, and offspring of uh, people that are suffering from Down's syndrome. And uh, I spoke from uh, Matthew chapter 7, and wise man builds his house on the rock, and the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And I'm here to tell you, <clears throat> one young lady is sitting immediately in front of me, Down syndrome, and I'm going to place her age maybe 35, maybe just a tad older than that. And as I'm talking about building your house on the rock, she recited verbatim chapter 2 of 1 Peter. This, the building the house on the living cornerstone, the pebbles, the rock, the play on words that we have between the rock, the cornerstone, and the living stones, the pebbles, Peter, of all people sharing this now with the authority that he does, and the fact that this young lady, suffering to whatever degree from Down syndrome, picked up precisely the point and recited the verse. I'm, it brought me up short in terms of how I should then live. She got it, even in that state that God has placed her in. She knew it. And so the question for us, what do we do with it? How shall we then live and be a royal priesthood, sharing the word, representing God and his excellencies and the virtues that are he, that they too might escape his wrath and indeed have everlasting life. Who is God? He's life. Death is, is rampant here in, in Peter's time period when he writes this epistle. 
life was cheap. Uh, it's really hard for my brain to wrap around the fact that somebody would capture another human being and coat them in oil and put them on a stick and light them on fire so they could have some illumination for whatever they're doing at nighttime. Uh, but that's what the world was at that time. And in spite of all that, this is how we should then live, in recognizing what the tools are to be holy, to be clean, to be royal, to be a servant for the sovereign, to be that priest, to be that royal priest. What an awesome, awesome privilege, but what a deeply profound responsibility that is. How shall we then live? And uh, I'm reminded of the Shema. The Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. I am your God. I am one God. You should love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Your complete obedience to me. It's not just here. It's, it's the doing. It's the integrating into one. And to think about the Shema, now we're talking about being holy and being clean and living in the Word, residing in the Word, and the Word residing in us, as it says in John 15. Um, twice a day, the Shema. And not just those verses. Verse, uh, chapter 11 in Deuteronomy, verse uh, 16 through 21, I think it is. Also, Numbers 15, uh, 37 through 41. All of those verses from the Torah were repeated by every Israelite twice a day. Talk about chewing the cud. Uh, sometime in the past, uh, Hoyt, I used that term, chewing the cud. And that's chewing the cud. That's chewing the word. And this is a responsibility of a priest to, because this is the holy God and we are holy as he is holy. So we are royal, we are holy, and this is how we should live. We are immersed into the word. And to just develop that analogy a little further, going to uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, we are to meditate on the word. The word meditate in, in Hebrew is hagah. Hagah means to chew the cud. The cow chews the cud, swallows, gets nourishment, coughs it up, chews it some more, gets more nourishment. That process was repeated at least four times from start to finish. Getting as much of the word's value and nutriment, life, as possible. And that's how you focus on him that's how you stay holy. That's how you stay clean. That's when I say you, I'm reusing that in the universal sense. That's all of us, me, you, everybody, that are born from the seed of God. This is how we stay holy. This is our role as the believer priest. This is what it means to be a son of the king of kings, therefore royal. And this is to be a servant as he is servant, because we're not greater than the master. And if the master's out there washing feet, 
to show a lesson, an object lesson, how far should it be removed from us not to do the same thing? Not at all. That's why we are his royal priesthood, to represent him to a lost world as a light, knowing that this is how we have been called to live as a called-out assembly. We're chosen, we're royal, we're holy, we're special. You are that you may represent him, the king of kings, to the rest of the world. That's how we shall live. Any other questions? Silence is deafening. I hope that this has opened up a glint of the possibilities of what this means. Like I say, for speaking for myself on a perhaps a selfish perspective, you know, I'm sort of the kind of guy that you ask, what time is it? And my privilege to tell you how to make a clock. Uh, to deep dive into this to see how it works. And it works, and it's impressive to see the detail, the continuity from what Bub's been teaching with regard to the priesthood to see that transfer of those responsibilities through the birth of the church. And it's my church, the Lord said. And I'm doing this. I am transferring these responsibilities to this new called out assembly. And you have responsibilities. And that responsibility is to represent me, God the Father, the triune Godhead, to the rest of the world. To show forth his excellencies and give them the good news to those that have ears to hear, let them hear. And that's why we are functional royal priests of the great, great king. What a privilege. Um, I don't know other words to say that. But now this is where we're going to give next week more grit to grab onto to understand what it is, how we do, and why we do what we do, to know what it is to be holy, to know what it is to be royal, children of the great living God that he breathes. He's not a God that does not breathe. Those are idols. He is the king. And as... Yahweh the king is dealing with his, his nation, and he hasn't finished with them yet. The Messiah has called out his nation. Very similar, what God has done in the past is a model and promise of what he'll do in the future. And here we see the detail being implemented and carried over, not just flashes in the pan, but solid continuity of carrying on the mission to recover a lost 
world. And we are key players, as called out, born of the Spirit of God, to be royal priests, living the life, a holy life, to declare his excellencies. I'm happy to talk with anybody afterwards or anytime about this in more detail. Uh, I, again, from a perhaps a selfish perspective, uh, I'm all for having a camp meeting right here for the next three weeks so we can plumb the depths of this because it's a, to see the precision, the timing, the continuity, the attention to detail, the threads that run all the way through to see the very hand of God. Not too much, not too little, and in the words of Goldilocks, just right. That's our Lord. That is our King. And we are his royal priests. Let's pray. Our Father, we approach you again with awesome respect, knowing that we should live living stones reflecting your virtues, your excellencies, your glory. And Father, most of all, your love. You have loved us so much that you've given your Son. And he was obedient even unto death. But not stopped or stymied by death, but resurrected and ascended. And he is that great royal high priest sitting at your right hand, interceding for us. Father, as we are interceding, representing you to a lost world, showing that light, that it is the remedy for darkness. Father, may we just understand what that means and that we know how we shall then live, reflecting that glory, bringing you glory, knowing that we will dwell with the Shekinah glory in that kingdom, not yet, but will be, even that kingdom that exists now in its fulfillment and maturation. Father, we thank you. Thank you from our bottom of our hearts, our whole being, our mind, our emotions, our will. We commit that. That's our heart, Father, that it would emulate you and bring you that ultimate honor and glory. And, Father, that we would do that with what we think. We would do that with what we say. And we would certainly do that with what we do. Father, that is our commitment. That is our desire. That is our expression of love. And all this, again, we say through in that great name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Hamashiach. We thank you. Thank you. And we say this in amen.